In 2009, two years following the release of the album that we're about to talk about today, Ken Irwin of Rounder Records said the musical duo who created it were already working on its follow-up due to the unexpected and massive success. One of the singers on this said album said this in 2009, To be 61 and faced with a, quote, difficult second album is quite a phenomenon. We'd finished everything in 10 days in Nashville, and I rented a car and went down to Natchez Trace to Oxford, Mississippi, across to Clarksdale, and down into Helena, Arkansas, looking for these ghosts. And I thought to myself, how can this be? I've just been with complete strangers, recorded 12 amazing tracks, had a fantastic time, and now I'm headed for the Mississippi Delta, end quote. So what do you get, Chaz, when you cross Robert Plant, Alison Krauss, T-Bone Burnett, the specter of Daniel Lanois, and about 52 Grammys? You get Robert Plant and Alison Krauss's 2007 collaborative album, Raising Sand, this week on Louder Than Sound. Welcome to everyone's favorite show, Louder Than Sound. Our first and only question for the contestants is... What's louder than sound? Theoretical noise particulates from the 15th dimension? What's louder than sound? Uh, nothing, Alex, because of course this is a theoretical question. What's louder than sound? What is two brothers who have mostly similar, but sometimes dissimilar taste in music, asking each other to listen to and absorb some of their favorite music albums based on idiosyncratic themes that they likewise force each other to consider? That's louder than sound. Welcome to another edition of Louder Than Sound. I'm Charlie, here with my brother Jake. Hi ho! For a while about some music. Let's do it. We're in our second episode with the theme of unlikely collaborators. Last time we did uh, Elvis Costello and Burt Baccarat, which Jake hated with a powerful vengeance. <laughs> It was this time just... <laughs> we're moving on to Robert Plant and Alison Krauss. Which I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry about it. With the powerful yeah, <laughs> no, I true. like it. I like it quite a lot. Spoiler alert. Um, we talked before about, I think we talked last episode about these these collaborations come up. Um, and when I was looking at different possible albums to do for this theme, you know, I'm thinking through which one I really wanted to talk about. You come across a heck of a lot of individual songs with these crazy collaborations. Oh, so many. There's so, 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 so many. And I mean, it's things like, you know, the Grammys love to do this, is throw up two completely unrelated artists and have, you know, yeah. have Eminem and uh, uh, Elton John, John you know, right. do a song together. Something like that is nuts, you know? You can basically, you can basically just throw, like, famous people names into a hat, and about 75% oh, yeah. of the time you'll get something that already happened, you know? Something, that, yeah, yeah. And, and so for that type of live performance or, like, a one-off single, it happens yeah, a lot. A lot the full-length album is a little bit rarer beast i think um so when i was looking through this i didn't actually come up with that many that i was really excited about i don't know if you have a list of other ones you were considering jake uh, I, I didn't have i didn't have albums. too many as as full albums it's it's definitely more rare yeah it is yeah so the other one that i came really close to was uh david Byrne and st vincent's yeah. love this giant which we both like. that's a really good one we both really mm -hmm. like that one the other one i kind of i came to this late and i but this was kind of a fun one i kind of forgot about is uh, William Shatner and Ben Folds. Oh, that's right. Them. Do you remember that? I do. That was that was wild. That was pretty fun. It's wild. It really is like an entertaining album. I gotta listen to that again. Yeah. But that yeah. one I came I would think I'd already made my decision and I came across it and went, Oh man, that would have been an interesting one to talk about. Oh yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> <You know. laughs> we'll see you in five years yeah. when we start redoing our themes. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
So, uh, I think that's all I really had to say. Did you yeah. have any, do you want to share any others that you were considering? You know what? I, I, I didn't, I didn't actually have a lot. I thought, I thought that there were more of them out there when I've been yeah. casting back in my mind. I mean, you think about like kind of silly, I, they're, they're usually so silly, you know, like the Shatner mm-hmm. folds, like I'm glad it exists. That's fun. Or we've been kind of stinging shaggy and that's, you know, definitely something you should fun. be making fun yeah. of. Um, but, but other than that, you know, it's kind of a, it is kind of a rare occurrence for somebody to get into the studio and actually work on a, the arc of an album. Right. Um, and a lot of them aren't super unlikely in the end, you know? Right. Um, it's like two rockers or like an old guy and a new guy or. Well, we, I, when I, I came up with this theme and I, I wasn't, it, it wasn't to me that they both had to have their name in the title either. Right. You know, I, yeah, I, it didn't have to be. Another one I thought about was uh, Paul Simon. One of his albums is produced by Brian Eno. Oh yeah. Which on the surface can seem. I mean, and I don't think that's as unlikely as we think. Brian Eno's been involved a lot with. World and he's music. a pop. He's Both a pop have. superstar. I mean. Right. He's yeah. He's done giant pop albums like right. Coldplay and a million U two albums, but that still feels a little different on the surface, at least. But and so there's stuff like that. But yeah, it's not as rare as you know, or not as common as I think. I oh, I was thinking about uh, Pete Yorn and Scarlett Johansson. They oh, did yeah. something I together. That was that was funny. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know, they're out there. They're out there. Well, how about we talk about this one then? This is. Uh, hey, why not? Why not? Hey, hey, you know, why not? I mean, this doesn't. This has got to be. This is quite possibly the most celebrated. Uh, it's very celebrated. Collaboration. And, and I'm at least uh, recent, at least in somewhat recent memory. I feel like I'm on a bit of a streak here. You know, I know a lot. I know a lot about music, and you know, I hear about things coming out all the time throughout the throughout the last you know thirty years or something like that. But I'm not really connected to like the pop culture element of things, or like what what they sell or what or who's winning awards and stuff like that. For whatever reason, I I get on these streaks where I, I think something's a little underground, but actually, um, th- it's not underground at all. It's like everybody. <laughs> it's like the number one thing that example? people would bring up. Yeah, the number one example. So I guess no, I've done I mean, it. I mean, I want an example. Oh, Give what was the big. what was the one? Uh, we were doing it on, let me just look back through our thing here. We got nothing but time. Uh, <laughs> do we? Yeah, of course we do. Uh, I'm looking back through our playlist about, oh, like, uh, so a good example would be for a Christmas album. I did, um, the Phil Spector, um, yeah. a Christmas gift for you. And I thought, you know, in my reading about it, it's like, I knew that it was well-respected and, and I'd heard yeah. a bunch of songs on it. But that's not only the number one Christmas album ever. Like, artists put that as their number one album, full stop, ever. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's a little, it's a little crazy. We're talking yes, about, yeah. we're talking about a huge deal, not just some cool trinket that I found. So, yeah, you know. So here we go again. Um, to to that uh, to that end, uh, Raising Sand um, won the album of the year at the 2008 Americana Awards, and the album of the mm-hmm. year, the album of the year at the 2009 Grammy Awards. <laughs> Again, two years after. It came Why didn't it win them in two thousand nine? Because it came out whenever the stupid Grammys decide, you know, to celebrate but something. It, but it won a Grammy in two thousand eight and two thousand nine. It already right. won a Grammy in two thousand eight. Right, because I think it was the single came out before the oh, album, okay. like within their weird window. The Grammys are weird. Yeah, because the Americana Awards, which everyone knows, are the best awards. You know, <laughs> uh, they they gave it the album of the year at the two thousand eight awards. So anyway, this thing was celebrated for two and a half years. With uh, I heard it's going to be nominated for another Grammy this year. <laughs> I think so too. The best thirteenth uh, year anniversary of an album by two <laughs> of a collaboration singers. with vocal with vocals. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> we need to re-celebrate it. Um, the reason the album came about is basically because of T Bone Burnett, the 
uber producer and Americana genius guy who goes back to the Dylan days and all the way back mm. into the 60s. And was involved with uh, a favorite of ours, Inside Lewin Davis. Exactly. And before that, um, he, he curated and put together all of the musicians on Oh Brother, Where Art, though. Oh, that's right, yeah. Um, and so that's how he um, got hooked up with Alison Krauss, who f- featured pretty prominently on that album. Okay. Um, uh, T-Bone's been hailed as a curatorial genius, which I guess hmm. is a, it's kind of a nice way to describe him. He can mm-hmm. he brings together musicians, he produces the album, so he's in charge of the sounds and all that stuff on them. Um, he flaunts that typical genius on this one, uh, and this is, a, this is a quote from a critic, with a whole new set of have-we-met-before tunes. I like, I like Critics Corner. Sometimes they're really funny. You can see them struggling to come up with words. They got their thesaurus house for sure. Uh, it's, quote, a stunning, dark, and brooding collection. Quote, delicious harmony vocals of the unlikely duo. Thanks for putting unlikely in there for us, guys. Uh, Krause's vocals have been described as spellbinding, honey-sweet, weepy, saccharine, haunting, and Robert Plant's have been described as... <laughs> This is very male versus female, by the way, uh, probably to an uncomfortable degree. Uh, plants uh, have been described as orgasmic and slithering. <laughs> oh, Why are those two words showing up in a sentence together? <laughs> hey, I gotta throw it really quick. Since last episode, we talked about Elvis Costello and Burt Beck. Oh, do we have to? This again? Be, no, this is really quick. This might be T Bone Burnett's next project after this one was yeah. an album with Elvis Costello called Secret Profane and Oh, Sugar Well, there you go. Hey. I was looking up really quick because I knew that there was. I knew he'd done something with T-Bone and Burnett, and I couldn't remember, but they worked together on a couple other Yeah, I, I think he's... That he, would happen, like, right afterwards, which is... He's such a, like, um, he's a prolific and tasteful presence, so I think oh, everybody yeah. wants to work so with him, because... Pro- prolific, so tasteful. One out of five of his projects will just win Album of the Year, apparently. Or become, like, a uh, become like a, a musical, you know, movement. <laughs> like and four out of five um, will win Americana Awards. Absolutely. Oh, five out of five probably <laughs> um so this album won all five grammy awards it was nominated for in whatever year it was nominated um, years it debuted at number two on the billboard chart uh, which is the highest debut of either singer's solo career uh, it was certified platinum within the year and was only blocked from the number one country album slot uh, for like 36 weeks or something um, by an ascendant taylor swift who had just become mm, really sure. really famous now, is that the one she just announced she's going to re-record? Or yeah. She did re-record. That's kind of a fascinating story, actually. I don't. Oh, that is a fascinating story. I don't story. have time I'm not, for... I'm not, a, I'm not a Swifty. I don't no, care about no, no, music no. personally. No. But, uh, yeah, I've been fascinated by this whole her yeah. re-recording I think, early on. I think, she, I think should, really she should throw her weight and influence around for that. Oh, um, yeah. She that. does. Yeah, go for it, Taylor. He's all right. Way to go. I know you need us to sign off on all of your <laughs> things. <laughs> now we're finally okay. She finally moved forward now that she's yeah. gotten our approval. Yeah. <laughs> um, this thing ended up so wildly successful that the collaboration actually began to seem less unlikely somehow probably mm-hmm. um it started to make sense whereas before it was like oh these two oh that's interesting yeah. um so let's explore what made these two an odd couple to begin with so sure. uh robert plant you ever heard of led zeppelin bro no, no? oh well they were a very giant british <laughs> rock band i guess yeah uh we will almost We'll almost definitely do a Zeppelin album on this podcast at some point, Um, just so I can make the correct case that they were the rock band of the 70s, and that Mm. 4, or Zozo, however you want to identify it, is easily the best album of the 70s. I don't want to hear any other arguments. Uh, Plant was obviously the lead singer, and he was the lyricist. 
of that little band that could, mm-hmm. and is generally considered amongst the top five rock vocalists ever, if not the number one rock vocalist ever. Kind of like, okay. you know, Hendrix is like the rock guitarist forever. Sure. Ever. Plants up there, at least in the top five. Um, they were the biggest band in the world for like a number of years, um, and Plant himself created or popularized that kind of rock god archetype. Yeah. The golden god. Yeah, I guess. Um, and here's where I wanted to put a big old but about his solo career to make the case that he needed this collab with Alison Krauss, but I can't because it turned out mostly successful and interesting. Boo, Robert Plant. <laughs> You're ruining my Come narrative, on. We man. Love we love a comeback story. Uh, he had solo hits. He sold out arenas. He collaborated with other worthwhile rock people and musicians, including Phil Collins, Jeff Beck, and uh, the really successful reunion with Jimmy Page, uh, the guitarist for Led Zeppelin in the mid-90s. Um, he played. He did that thing where he played smaller venues on purpose, um, which is a huge difference than having to, um, which I always like. Um, he got deeply interested in Welsh culture and music. He made a habit of forming bands with unique names that did not involve his own. Um, so that includes uh, The Honey Drippers, Priory of Brian, Strange Sensation, Band of Joy, Sensational Space Shifters, good one, and <laughs> Saving Grace. Mm, he res- saving Grace. Yeah. Oh. He, resisted, uh. he resisted the massive temptation to just redux and sing old Zeppelin material, because he was um, part songwriter, part lyricist for all those songs. Um, preferring to go forward as a more vital songwriter, singer, and collaborator. And although he does work in the old Zep tunes every once in a while, and he has reunited with the remaining living members of Zeppelin a couple of times for various um, things, he has reportedly turned down, and now this would be the whole band getting paid this, not just him, a $200 million check to tour as Led Zeppelin for one tour. So he did that because, I don't know, it seems like he likes the other guys, but he doesn't want to be the Zep guy. So that's a lot of money, though. Holy buckets. That's a lot of money. Uh, so, I'll do it. Uh, bad move I'll by take him. Take money into Robert Plant, you guys. Yeah. Give it, give it to me. <laughs> I'll t- hey, I'm, I'm just like him. Listen to me, Caterwall. I legally changed my name to Robert Plant for $50 million. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'll go on the record saying everyone, right now, everybody. Everyone will believe it. You're his, you're his doppelganger. <laughs> well, you know, exactly. That's what everyone's always telling me. So uh, he didn't have the decency to either be artistically bankrupt or hit rock bottom at all. For, you know, yeah. after he left. Come on, so okay. come on. All right, so let's move on to Alison Krauss. She is similarly beloved and successful and is an artistic giant, which this actually works for my narrative because I just knew she didn't need some rock and roll dude to come and save her um, with this That's collaboration. That's right. Never. Yeah, yep, yep. She was a musical prodigy and released her first album for Rounder Records at the age of 17, is the first true bluegrass superstar in, like, a while, like, since, like, the uh-huh. 50s or something and almost single-handedly sparked a revival in bluegrass music in the United States, um, as she's featured prominently on the Old Brother, Where Art Thou soundtrack, and she was successful you know, before that, well before that as well. So, yeah. uh, quick aside, how many Grammy Awards has Alison Krauss won? I'll give you four <laughs> choices. Oh, man, so All right, many. so there's seven, 17, 27, or 37. How many Grammy Awards has Alison Krauss won? No way is only seven, because she won five for this album alone. <laughs> well, she might not have won production or whatever stupid thing they would get. Well, still. I'm going to go with uh, 27. Ah, you're correct. Yeah. Yeah, good deduction skills, friend. Mm-hmm. Um, that is actually the third most ever. 
Wow. And she is the the most. uh, It's it's either Quincy Jones or it's this other guy who did um, who did a lot of soundtrack work. Yeah, you'd expect it to be somebody like that, you know. But she's obviously the most um, female um, ever, and she's the most singer. She has the most Grammys by a single singer ever. Um, so this is the only time that I've ever thought like, Hey, the Grammys, you know, have meant anything at all. Um, you know, good, good for you for paying attention to Alison Krauss a lot. Uh, her album with her longtime band, the union station. Now that I found you, um, that went two times platinum and was introduced to be by, uh, by Brooke, my now wife, then special lady friend in college. <laughs> so, Go, Brooke. Thanks Brooke. Um, the only thing that can apparently slow her down is that she suffers from frequent and sometimes non-stop migraine headaches, um, Aww, which I can tell Allison. you as a monthly slash occasional sufferer of bad migraines, um, since I hit puberty, um, that can pretty much stop anybody. Those are horrible. So I hope she figures that out someday. Um, it hasn't stopped her, though. Um, she's crossed all of the lines that you would Did want. Did she win a Grammy for Best Migraines while performing? Absolutely. Yeah. 20, that's what her. that's where 20 of her migraines best, uh, best, work, best working through a migraine to perform <laughs> and record a song anyway in bluegrass music people deserve a Grammy for that kind of stuff they do yeah um, she's crossed all the lines you would want to cross genre-wise and commercially and is an already a legend and she's not even that old she turns 50 this coming year so okay. she could have another 30 or 40 years of collaborations and successes and probably like another 27 Grammys for all we know because she's very She's very good at picking those projects that are going to, you know, win, win her that win her that gold. Okay. So for yeah. both of them, Plant and Krauss, particularly for Krauss at that time, this album, the Raising Sand album and tour, they went on tour afterwards, um, were merely kind of a medium-sized signpost in their long, hugely successful and influential mm-hmm. careers. Um, one is a giant in the old guard rock and roll establishment, and one is a giant in the even older genre, but much newer commercial establishment of bluegrass. So my question, Chaz, is whether this collab is that unlikely besides their ages and genres um, and the differences in those. They both have an interest in folk forms. Even in the Zeppelin days, Plant made a career out of thinly veiled sex metaphors, but also oddly old-timey British folk forms and lyrics, as well as a huge uh, interest in J.R.R. Tolkien, who is like a folk yeah, right, right. Book here. He's... I was actually just reading about this. I read that book. You recommended it in an earlier episode. Yeah, Don't Sell at Any Price. Oh, did you read it? Oh, I did. It was great. Great she book. mentioned that there's somewhere about Led Zeppelin and how much of the, the old blues stuff they just kind of took in. Oh, absolutely. They were. They made it rock out. They made it rock out. Yep. They were, I got a note about that. They were a blues band, for sure. Yeah. Um, and Krauss keeps that old blues and bluegrass tradition alive by singing really yeah. old Americana. And at some point, those two were kind of the same thing, blues and mm-hmm. blues and bluegrass. Uh, but here's where I still find it unlikely. No matter how hard he tries, Plant will always be the Zeppelin guy. Um, not to his detriment, but that's just who he's associated with. Yeah. And, and that guy, the fire-breathing, falsetto, screaming, rock and roll, celestial sex god, does not necessarily fit in a likely way with this sort of, um, you know, maybe even a little problematic uh, in terms of, like, stereotyping, but, like, this crystalline, yeah. angelic, you know, old-timey, lost love, spouting fiddle-playing bluegrass lady um, that is the stereotype of Alison Krauss. So those two things are, are, are very different. Uh, but what say you, Chaz? I think this album for you is a little AOR. It's a little adult-oriented rock. Mm-hmm. A little too polite. You're not a country boy uh, when it comes to music or life, uh, but I don't actually hear country music in this, even though it's generally considered a country album or Americana. Um, so that's not a problem. 
I can't imagine you had a lot of time for Kraus, except for Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And you and Zeppelin just have never matched up for whatever reason. Um, but then again, this doesn't sound like Zepp, and it doesn't sound too much like bluegrass either. What it sounds like to me is a tasteful curation of cover songs from two wonderful singers filtered through that most spe specific of production techniques, the Daniel Lanois by way of T-Bone Burnett. So I think you'll like it a little, but not a lot. I think you're going to give it a plus one, and maybe even a little less. Okay. So I remember when this album was released. Everyone went crazy about it. They yeah. just went nuts. Like yeah. it was just this big deal. And um, I never, you know, it never sounded that interesting to me. So I never really listened to it. Right? And by really, I mean, I never listened to it at all. <laughs> Boom. Um, so it did feel like the folky country feel did feel a little unexpected from Robert Plant. But you know, like I was saying, I, I thought I knew that Led Zeppelin, you know, took a lot of stuff. And it was just an old blues song that they made. Yeah, almost exclusively. <laughs> Um, this has got a really clear, stripped-down sound. It's stately, mature, sophisticated. It just feels like that NPR album that everyone's yeah, always waiting for, you know? Right. It's just NPR ready, just ready to rock. <laughs> Boom. And by rock, I mean, eh, rock a little bit. <laughs> um, like you said, it's not, it didn't feel, I, I was expecting it to be more bluegrass and more country. I was okay. expecting that. And so Adair very much has that Americana feel. It, it didn't feel like, yeah, country and definitely not bluegrass to me, which... I think we realized recently bluegrass is really what what doesn't float my boat. Just got a trouble, got a problem with bluegrass for whatever reason. Um, but I can see what all the fuss is about. I liked it more than I expected. And I think you mentioned this was a cover album, so I was going to ask about that. I, I made a point of not reading up, make a point of not reading up too much about these when I'm listening yeah. to them. Try yeah. to listen. Yeah, it's all. And it felt to me like there were. I knew there was at least one, and I can't remember. I didn't write what song. There was at least one song I recognized as a cover, like I recognized the song. There is a hymn at the end that might have been the one. Okay, that might have been it. But otherwise, the way that they were constructed, the 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 way the songs are written and lyrically, it felt to me like like kind of a mixed bag. It felt to me like a covers album. So you mentioned that already, so that's good to know that I was right on that. Um, but overall, I I enjoyed it. It didn't, you know, like make a big dent. This is not something I'm like gonna go back to and listen to some more. Yeah. But I wasn't. I didn't dislike it. I I enjoyed some of the stuff that was going on here. So you're right on, Jake. I gave it a one. All right. Whoa. Well hey. Yep. I feel like I should get a Grammy for that. Yeah, I think you just did. I did. They Actually, gave it we awarded in uh, 2027. <laughs> That's right. That's right. The special fifth anniversary of uh, podcasts with two brothers mm -hmm. talking about this album. <laughs> Grammy. <laughs> Grammy, baby. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I will. I'll talk about it a little bit before I give it a score. Um, it's extremely reverby and it's extremely Daniel Lanois-esque, like to the point of parody at times. Um, his production technique and style. Um, it's all there. The tremolo on the guitars turned up so much that it barely clings to the beat anymore. Um, the reverb and the echo and the very dark musical tambra. Um, you know, drum, tom tom drums and bass drums and stuff like that, rather than snare. Um, the closeness of the singers to the mic and a very intimate and carefully fussy sound that is designed to, in fact, sound loose. Um, and then there's that kind of depth to an updated 50s dark rock sound with that tremolo guitar and stuff like that. Um, I'll talk about the singers here. Um, Plants, I don't know what you thought about this, um, listening to the whole thing. They do kind of trade numbers and stuff like that, Yeah, yeah. like any great um, unlikely collaboration album would. Um, but Plant, for whatever reason, seems like the ostensible star here, even though he's even less decorated somehow than Alison Krauss. Um, it seems like his voice is mixed a little higher, and he carries the melody more often. Um, okay, I guess I didn't notice, but I wasn't really listening okay. to that. 
Yeah, exceptions are song number three, which is Sister Rosetta, um, goes before us, which is a highlight. That's all Krauss. Um, through the Morning, Through the Night is all Krauss. And then Trampled Rose is all her as well. Um, their harmonies, I think, are very nice and very tight and surprisingly adapted to one another's. Um, usually when you get two people, it's kind of tricky to get two people to harmonize really, really well together, especially male and female. Um, the purest harmonies are usually sisters, you know, um, literal sisters. Sure. First aid kit sure. comes to mind. They just sound perfect together. Or you can do Andrews it. Andrews sisters. The Andrews sisters, all three of them. <laughs> Heim, you know. Uh, or you just yeah. do it with yourself like Elliot Smith did. Then you know yeah. your voices are going to go together if it's you. Um, but Plant and Krauss um, are a good match, both in register and timbre, and that goes a long way um, in this because they're singing together a lot. Um, Plant is very restrained here throughout. He uses his voice much more like a support. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of screaming. There was almost no screaming. <laughs> you know, there wasn't a lot. He does a, he does a few little he lets loose a couple times, but not really. Um, he definitely uses his voice more like a supporting instrument than like a lead guitar line, like what, what mm -hmm. he was in Zeppelin. Um, songs like Nothing are almost at a whisper, and they're very controlled, um, which is a huge difference from his most famous vocal style, um, that powerful falsetto caterwauling. Yeah. Um, he's, and he's actually a good singer. Like, I think he could trick you uh, with all of his pyrotechnics back in the day, but he's actually a, good, he's a, he's a, he's a great singer. Um, he had something that almost nobody in rock had, uh, but more often than not, he chooses post-Zeppelin to keep it cool, which I admire. And as I said, he's uh, very sensitive and generous as a vocal harmonizer. Um, and on Nothing, that song I referenced, um, Krauss doesn't even do heavy lifting with her voice, but she actually does it with a violin, um, which kind of which kind of sets them apart if you're going to like mm -hmm. hit, hit them in some sort of uh, competition with one another. Um, yeah. She has the violin thing, which she's like a master violinist. Um, and she contributes that quite often. That's great. Um, she has one of the most famous and distinguishable voices in pop music, and I find that she's just doing her thing on this record, cool and breezy and making it sound easy as usual. Um, she has collaborated and been a part of so many musicians and songs and soundtracks throughout her career that this kind of seems like just another day at the office for her. She's like, oh, who am I? Who am I going in with here? Let's make this. Oh yeah, let's a make, rock up? Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, let's make this better. Let's go in and make yeah. this real nice. Uh, but of course, she's excellent. She does all the things that I mentioned with Plant, um, singing solo when necessary, but more often being kind of pleasantly in the background. Um, but there's always that one thing which I mentioned um, that Plant can't do, which is play that very moody violin part. Mm -hmm. I'd say there's. I, I really like this. Uh, album. There's a lot of standout tracks on it. It's very tasteful and classy, and therefore there's not a lot of big swings or kind of out-of-place songs on it. Um, I'm partial to almost all of it, with the possible exception of Let Your Loss Be Your Lesson, which is kind of supposed to be that, you know, three-quarters of the way through with the album Banger, um, but it sounds a little forced for whatever reason. Um, as I mentioned, I especially love Sister Rosetta, Through the Morning, Your Long Journey, um, which is the 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 last track which is the hymn and of course please read the letter which is the track that always gets stuck in my head when i think of this album it's stuck please in my head right now the letter like, that i wrote that was like i remember you know you said those other titles to songs and nothing came but you said that and i'm like yeah, oh, yeah. that's the one that's the one um I so to this twice but that was there yeah it's awesome um it's an extremely pleasant and interesting and welcome listen for me at any old time i like just putting it on and i guess i'm just a sucker for that dark lanois sound Probably, uh, probably going back to my Dylan days. 
In fact, my mm-hmm. only my only critique of it is that it sounds so so much like those mid '90s Landwall records, um, especially Emmylou Harris's Wrecking Ball, that it borders on just it's not parody or it's not even like it might even be like a little derivative or something. It just it's got all that stuff in there. It's almost like the playbook. Um, but still, the curative nature of it is especially classy, and the musicians do great work together. And I uh, the the follow-up that I that I talked about in the in the beginning didn't come together. They they got together to mm-hmm. do some sessions, and apparently the the old magic wasn't there, and so they they decided not to do it. But I know you know, as this was so famous, I'm sure everyone just assumed they they'd get back together and do another one, uh, you know, get some more Grammys under their belts. I mean, uh, they could use some more. You know? Yeah. Hey, I mean, they're both still alive and kicking. They're still doing stuff. So yeah, yeah, let's, still winning let's Grammys, going, guys. You guys need it. Your careers are. You know, they're in the top. It really get a boost from a Grammy or two. They're they're both in the top fifth five fifth percentile. I'm gonna need or ninety fifth percentile. I'm gonna need you to bump it up to like the ninety ninth percentile. <laughs> so anyway, I give the album a three point out of five. 3.0, hey. I like it a lot. Well, good for you, Jake. Hey, next time we're shaking things up with the new theme. Uh, with breakup albums. And by breakup albums, oh. I do not mean albums that are about people breaking up. Or Charlie oh, no, would okay. just do the Burt Backrack and Elvis Costello Just do the Burt Backrack when I get again. it. I can do it again. Yep. We'll just uh, use a tape from that one. <laughs> but instead, albums that caused us to break up with the artist in question. Yes. So an album where they released it and we were like, oh, Uh-oh. I really liked you and I have for a long time, but Uh-oh. I think I'm done. I think I'm gonna move on. I think I'm gonna see other albums or see other <laughs> other artists at this point. Just like that. Just like that. So I will be leading the way next time with Saint Vincent and her 2017 album Mass Seduction, so which I always want to call Mass Education. Which she also released a later album of covers of this called Mass Education, <laughs> which I want to call confusing. Mass Seduction. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we'll see you next time on Louder Than Sound.